In the last few days, five days to be exact, the world has watched mostly in horror as Israel has dealt with the aftermath of an incursion of Hamas terrorists who murdered up to as many as 1,200 people. When we made our announcement on Sunday, the number was 300, but the number continued to, to grow. And because they haven't discovered all that they can discover even five days later, that number will still probably grow. grow, grow. They attacked men, women, infants. They raped, they kidnapped over 150 people that are held somewhere in the Gaza area now for five days. Uh, they kidnapped men, women, and children. They shot well over 5,000 rockets. I couldn't find the exact number of the rockets that have been fired from the Gaza Strip. And that caused death and injury as well. Those rockets hit and caused death and injury as well. And Hezbollah from Lebanon has been firing rockets as well. And they believe, and Syria has had sent in artillery fire from Syria where they now believe in Israel that they are facing a multi-front war. Now, the question, could this be a sign to us that we're living in the last days? That's the question that I had. And I want to read you a passage out of Matthew 24. Jesus was with his disciples on the Temple Mount. Um, he had said that not one stone of the temple was going to be left upon another when he was up there. Then they went across the Kidron Valley to Mount, the, Mount Olivet, and when he sat down with his disciples there, the disciples said, when will these things take place and what will be the sign of your coming? This is what Jesus said to them. And Jesus answered and said to them, take heed that no one deceives you. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ and will deceive many. We want to be careful that no one deceives us. Remember in the armor, we have the belt of truth. We want to know what the truth is. That's really what our heart is. And you have the responsibility to make sure you're not deceived. Be careful that you are not deceived, the Bible says. And there are many people today that claim to be the Christ. What Jesus said here is happening today. There are many people who do claim to be the Christ. And it says, and they will deceive many. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled for these things must come to pass. And throughout all the, the 2000 years since Christ gave these words, there have been wars and rumors of wars. But then he said this, for all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and pestilence and earthquakes in various places. And all of these things are the beginning of sorrows. The word for sorrows there is the word for birth pains. It means that, the, that things are going to get more and more intense. Now, you gals, I, my wife had three kids. I know how birth pains work, right? First of all, she gets a little bit like, ooh, 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 ooh. And then, you know, fast forward two hours, three hours, four hours later, and they're screaming and hollering for some kind of drug to be given in the hospital so she doesn't feel any more pain at all. So things get more and more intense, and the contractions get closer and closer together. Now, this is the way that the, the end of the world is going to come about. Famines and earthquakes and wars are going to become more and more intense. I believe that World War I was a birth pain. I believe that World War II was a birth pain. I believe the Great Depression was a birth pain. I believe moving further up in, in time, I believe that, that the pestilence of COVID-19 was a birth pain and all that went with it that changed the world that we lived in. Our world has changed 
since 2020 when, when COVID hit. And it's not only changed in the United States, it's changed all around the world. And I believe that that was an intense birth pain. And I believe that we are in the middle of a birth pain right now as we're seeing these things happen uh, within the nation of Israel. Consider some of the other things that the Bible says will happen near the, in the last days. In 1 Timothy 4, 1 and 2, it says, Now the Spirit expressly says, In the latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and the doctrines of demons. Today we have deconstruction taking place, where many Christians are deconstructing their faith. They're not deconstructing what's wrong in their faith to be able to find out what's right. They're actually deconstructing their faith. They're walking away from Christ. And uh, progressive churches that are encouraging this in people are giving people a way out of the church. Because once you deconstruct your faith, you're not going to be going to church. You're not going to be looking to walk closer with Christ. And we are living in that time where there are many who are falling away from Christ. The Bible also says that there will be moral failures in the last days. This is 2 Timothy 3, 1 through 5. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers. This is what happens in the last days. And I'm not going to read the rest of the list that is there, but it goes on to talk about a lack of morals in the last days. We're certainly there. One interesting thing for me is that scoffers are going to arise in the last days. There are going to be those who scoff. You think Jesus is going to come back? Really? It's been 2,000 years and he hasn't come back yet. You think he's really going to return? The crazy thing about the scoffer is he's actually a sign that we're in the last days. Listen to what it says in 2 Peter 3, 3 and 4. Know this first, that scoffers will come in the last days walking according to their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers have fallen asleep, all things continue as they have been from the beginning of creation. Now let's consider the nation of Israel for a moment. First of all, God didn't choose the nation of Israel out of other nations. It wasn't like God looked out there and said, what nation do I want to choose to bring my Messiah from? God raised up the nation of Israel called Abraham and who was a who is whose father was an idol worshiper, called him to leave and to go to the land that he would show him that would eventually be the land of Canaan and promised him that one of his seed was going to bless all nations. That is the Messiah who came and blesses not only Jews, but Gentiles who call out upon his name. And then he had a son, Isaac and Jacob, and the promises were made to Isaac and Jacob as well. Because remember, the Arab peoples go all the way back to Abraham, which is one of the ways that the Arab people will believe that they have a right to the land of Israel as well, because they go back all the way to Abraham. Now, the children of Israel followed the Lord, went through the law, came out of slavery, received the law, and then entered into idol worship. They began to worship the very same idols that the Canaanites worshiped. Jeremiah 19 tells us that they caused their children to pass through fire. The Bible says they killed the innocents. God called those children who were sacrificed to Molech and even a king of Israel, a couple of kings of Israel offered their children as well. And because they began to serve false gods, God judged them and removed them from the land the same way he had judged the Canaanites and removed them from the land. 
And here's what God said that he was going to do, first of all, to the land that he would, that he was going to, first of all, bring Israel back into the land. The people of Israel were to be scattered before they could be brought back in. They had to be scattered. We know that Rome marched on Jerusalem in 66, besieged it and took Jerusalem in 70, killed many people and took slaves and scattered them around the world. Now, here's what it says in Ezekiel 36, 18 and 19. Therefore, I poured out my fury on them for the blood that they had shed on the land. Talking about these, these idols that they worshiped uh, and for their idols with which they had defiled it. So I scattered them among the nations and they were dispersed throughout countries. I judged them according to their deeds. Now, this is the fairness of God. God had judged the Canaanites and driven them out of the land because they had done the same thing that Israel did. And when Israel did the same thing the Canaanites did, God drove them out of the land and they were dispersed around the world. And during the 1800s, there was an increase of persecution against the Jewish people. Now, the Jewish people that were scattered around the world were able to keep their identity. One of the reasons that they kept their identity is because in the law, there were certain things that they had to do, like not cutting the corner of their beards, like wearing tassels on their clothes, the way that they would eat, the dietary laws that they were in. And that kept them uh, separated and not being assimilated into other countries. I'm not saying that none of the Jews were assimilated, but I'm saying for a, as a large part, they weren't assimilated into the other, other countries. So that when it came to the late 1800s, when the Zionist movement began and a man by the name of Herzl had, to, had, had put forth the idea that the Jewish people who were under great persecution in Russia before they ever were in Germany, that they needed their own homeland. There were a few of them that lived in Israel, but not many. At this point, there were far more Arabs that lived in Israel than Jews who lived in Israel. This is the 1800s and early 1900s. So God said that he was also going to make the land desolate. The Ottoman Empire had been in control of Israel for 400 years. The Ottoman Empire had salted the land, cut down trees, destroyed the land, and it had become unfruitful. The land of milk and honey was no longer a land of milk and honey. In Zechariah 7:14, it says, but I will scatter them with the whirlwind among all of the nations which they have not known. Thus, the land became desolate after them so that no one passed through or returned for they made the pleasant land desolate. The Ottoman Empire took the pleasant land and destroyed it. Listen to what Mark Twain said when he went through the promised land in 1867. He says, desolate country whose soil is rich enough, but is given over wholly to weeds, a silent, mournful expanse, a, dis a dissolute, um, a dissolution is a desolate. A desolation is here. Let me say, let me read the word. The des a desolation is here that not even imagination can grace with the pomp of the life and action. We never saw a human being on the whole route. There's hardly a tree or a scrub anywhere. Even the olive or the cactus, those fast friends of worthless soil 
had almost deserted the country. So in his way, he wrote that it was barren and that it had been destroyed. In other words, in the mid 1800s, there was no one fighting over Israel. It was not a place where people wanted to be. I'm not saying that there weren't people there. There weren't Arabs there and there weren't Jews there. I'm just saying there weren't a lot of people that were fighting over the land. However, God promised that the land would be restored. In Isaiah, from 36 through really 40, 41, you have the restoration of the nation of Israel. That they go from being outside of the land. Now we know the Bible foretold that they would be scattered. The Bible foretold that the land would be desolate. So the first thing that God does in, in Ezekiel 36 is to prophesy to the mountains of Israel. Today, Israel is incredibly fruitful. I won't go all over, over all of the statistics of how much they provide for and how much food is created within Israel, but it's in the perfect spot, the perfect climate to be able to be incredibly fruitful. In Ezekiel 36, six through nine, it says, therefore prophesy concerning the land of Israel. So he's telling them now, when you prophesy concerning the land, which God had already prophesied would be desolate and it became desolate and say to the mountains, the hills, the rivers and the valleys. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I have spoken in my jealousy and my fury because you have borne the shame of the nations. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, I have raised my hand in an oath that I shall the and an oath that surely the nations that are around you shall bear their own shame. But you, O mountains of Israel, you shall shoot forth your branches and yield your fruit to my people Israel, for they are about to come. For indeed, I am for you and I will turn to you and you shall be tilled and sown. When we go to Israel, we find ourselves up on Mount Carmel and Mount Carmel overlooks the Jezreel Valley. And when you overlook the Jezreel Valley today, it's all divided up into farming land. You can see the green valley that is below that had been completely desolate, but has become completely fruitful now. And God said to the mountains of Israel, get ready because my people are about to come. And so there was a restoration of the land in the late 1800s and early 1900s. God used the Zionist movement to do this. They raised money to purchase land in Israel and they drained the swamps and they planted trees and they tilled the ground. And once again, it became fruitful. Now the people also returned. God said they are about to return. Now in Isaiah 43, five and six, it says, fear not, I am with you. I will bring your descendants from the east and gather them from the west and say to the north, give them up and to the south, do not keep them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Now, there are many other passages that God says, I'm going to call them from the north, the south and the east and the west. I'm going to bring them from Ethiopia and he lists different countries that they're going to return from. And in the last days, God's going to bring Israel back into the people of Israel, back into the land of Israel. This has happened just as it said that it would. Now, the Bible also predicted that Israel would become a nation again. Now, they only became a nation in 1948. And before that, they weren't a nation. And many people believed in replacement theology, that God wasn't working with Israel anymore. 
that all the promises that God made to Israel he was going to fulfill through the church. And you guys have heard my spiel on that before. I don't think replacement theology is true. I don't think it is right or good or righteous to make a promise to one person and fulfill it to another. You cannot say I fulfilled my promise to you by, by fulfilling it to another person. I don't believe that God did that. They looked around in the 15, 16, 1700s and they, they didn't see Israel. But yet Israel's all over the Bible, especially in the last days. It's everywhere. Zechariah, Amos, Joel, Revelation. Wherever the Bible starts talking about the last days, the nation of Israel is brought up. And so they looked around and they thought that doesn't fit what we see. But you don't want to make your theology based on what you see. You want to build your theology based on what the Bible has to say. And so they came up with this idea that all the passages that spoke of Israel are the church and that God's going to fulfill his promises through the church. Obviously, that didn't happen because the Bible said Israel is going to become a nation again. Listen to Isaiah 11, 11 and 12. It shall come to pass in that day that the Lord shall set his hand again a second time to recover the remnant of the people that are left. When was the first time he set his hand to recover the remnant of the people who were left? Any idea? When they were dispersed from the land and taken into Babylon. Did I hear somebody say Babylon? Somebody whispered Babylon. Somebody here got it. So they were taken out of the land, first of all, and taken into Babylon and God brought them back. And then they were taken out of the land by the Romans. And now God is going to set out his hand a second time is what it says here. OK, so he says a second time to recover the remnant of the people who are left from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elim and Shinar, from Hamath, from the islands of the sea. He will set up a banner for the nations and will assemble the outcasts of Israel and gather them together, the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. That has happened in our lifetime. There were but a few thousand Jews in Israel in the early 1900s. And today there are six million in Israel. And they all have been born in Israel. They've been gathered from around the world and still are. In Isaiah 66, 8, it says, Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such a thing? Shall the earth be made to give birth in a day? Shall a nation be born at once? As soon as Zion, that's another word for Israel, as soon as Zion was in labor, she gave birth to her children. And if you read the passage in context, it's speaking of her becoming a nation in one day. Now, how did that happen? So the Zionist movement began in the 1800s. Um, there were a lot of Jews who were in power in Russia. A lot of Jews who were in power in the United States during the First World War. So we're talking about 1915, 1916, 1917. Russia, France and Britain were the coalition that was fighting against Germany and the Ottoman Empire. So there were other players, but that's the basic breakdown. France and Germany were afraid, excuse me, France and Britain were afraid that the Jews who were in power in Russia, 
By the way, there's a lot of persecution taking place in Russia and the Jews that were in power in the United States. This is before the United States got involved in the war. They would eventually get involved in World War One. But before that, they wanted to reach out and encourage the Jews. And so promises were made in the Balfour Agreement. So it's a guy by the name of Balfour and he promised that there would be an Israeli state in Palestine. Now, the Romans had named Israel Palestine under the Ottoman Empire. It was called Palestine. When you're talking about Palestine, you're talking about Israel. Think back to the Old Testament when God named the area Israel. Israel had become a nation, the nation of Israel during the time of the judges. And then under King Saul, they became a united kingdom of Israel. And then it was divided after Solomon died to the nation of Israel to the north and the nation of Judah to the south. Judah had Jerusalem as its capital. Samaria was the capital of Israel that was up in the north. Now, there might have been a lot of people before 1947 who would argue that those names were added later on and that it was never called Israel back in those days. But finding the Dead Sea Scrolls that were before the time of Christ that mentioned Israel, we know the land was called Israel. Also, we found archaeology found a stone in a place called Tel Dan in Israel. They found a second, and there's a second new stone. Oftentimes, uh, we'll, we'll find archaeological finds in second new stones. Somebody had took the stone and used it in the building of a wall. In this stone, it's the Tel Dan stone. You can look it up. The word Tel is an archaeological term that means really a, a, a hill that has a city underneath it. So if there's a tell, it's not just a hill. It's actually a city that has been covered up. And the Tel Dan stone came out of Tel Dan and it makes a reference to the house of David and the nation of Israel on the Tel Dan stone. I've stood in the Israeli Museum and looked at this particular stone. You can look it up on your phone. You can do it even right now if you want to, if you're just interested in what it looks like, because it is the first reference that we found. People thought David was a myth before that. It dated to 900 B.C. David lived 1000 B.C. So this is 100 years after the time of David. They found a reference to the house of David. Now, since then, they found more references to, to the house of David. They've discovered David's palace right where the Bible said that David's palace was built. But 900 years before the time of Christ, Israel was mentioned as being Israel and belonging to the Jewish people. Now we come back to more modern times and the British are promising that they are going to give Palestine or a place in Palestine for a a Jewish state, Jewish people all around the world, but there is no Jewish state. The Ottoman Empire is now. And remember, you didn't have you didn't have Islam before 700 B.C. So there's no way that Islam can claim rights to Israel by date. OK, they can't do it by date. They might have other rights to it, other claims to it, but they can't do it by date because Israel goes back to a, th a thousand, really 1400 years before the time of Christ when they uh, entered, uh, entered into what is the promised land. At the same time, unfortunately, Britain was making promises to the Arab people that they could have an Arab state in Palestine as well. 
And so they were promising everything. They were promising the kitchen sink. The war was in flux. They weren't sure they were going to win it. They were trying to keep the coalition together. And so they made more promises than they could fulfill. And in fact, behind closed doors, they had promised to give the Arabs what would be Afghanistan and Iraq today. But behind closed doors, they had given basically, it was a little different layout if you look it up, but basically they gave Afghanistan to France and they gave Britain uh, what would be Iraq and they gave Britain the um, British um, Palestinian mandate, which would be Israel. Behind closed doors, they had already, were taking the spoils of war. This is even before the war's done. They want to take the spoils of war, which is the defeated Ottoman Empire, and they want to colonize it. Now, colonization is about at the end by the time that we come into the early 1900s, right? But they were still thinking this way. So they were wanting to colonize these areas. Uh, the, Brit the British wanted the oil of Iraq. They wanted the port of Haifa to be able to bring the oil out. Now you come to the end of the war. And now all of a sudden, the Arabs realize that they've been lied to. And the Jews have been lied to as well. I don't know that they realize it as much, but they go to try to keep their promise. And they end up dividing the land and this gets found out. And there's all kinds of problems. And I won't go into all the details of the post-World War I problems that were in the Middle East, but there was a great number of them. Finally, it, um, the, there was a newly formed United Nations. Didn't even consist of all the United the Nations around the world. And Britain, wanting to get their hands off of the mess of what they had promised for an Israeli state and promised for a Palestinian state, they wanted to get their hands off of it. So they gave it to the UN to make a decision. So the UN declared that they were going to divide the nation. And I should have got a map to put up for you but you can look up the map that the United Nations suggested to give. They were giving 50%, 56% to the Jewish people and giving the rest to the Palestinians who were there. The Palestinians that were there outnumbered the people of Israel by 10 to one. So the Palestinians felt, really felt they were ripped off by this. There's this much smaller number of people. They're getting a larger part of the land. Jerusalem was gonna be an international city the West Bank and what is larger than the West Bank today was going to be given to the Palestinians. The area of the Gaza Strip and the area that is down around there, even larger, what would include um, Jaffa and Tel Aviv today, were going to be given to the Palestinians. The Jews took up the United Nations on their offer to have a Palestinian, to have, a, have an Israeli state with the lines that were drawn. And so they declared in May 14th of 1948, that they were a nation, a nation born again in a day. The Palestinians, number one, they felt ripped off. The Jews are getting more land than we are. They felt ripped off because they had been given promises by the, the, the British people uh, that they were going to give them more when they weren't going to give them what they gave them. They had even taken away I, the area of modern day Iraq and Iran from them. And so they really felt ripped off. And because of that, they said, not us. And plus, there was now a hatred. Up to this point, the, the Jews and the Arabs had gotten along fine. 
But now that there was a division of the land, a hatred began and they began to say, as long as Israel exists, then we will not have a Palestinian state. They refused it. They could have accepted it. Now, I'm not saying that they would, were being treated fair. They could have still voiced that they were being treated unfair, but they could have accepted it and they could have began a Palestinian state the same time that Israel declared an Israeli state. Instead, they got together with Iraq, Jordan, Egypt, Lebanon, and attacked Israel. They declared a nation in 1948 and, 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 and almost the next day, they were in full-blown war. Now, here's the thing. They're all coming out of World War II. They've been battling in the area, but they're all fledgling nations. It's not like Jordan had had time to get their army together or Egypt had had a full time to be able to get all their army together. These are newly acquired territories and nations. And so they fought against Israel and they lost. When the UN finally came in and froze the lines, more land had been taken from Israel by Israel than was given to them uh, in the, in the uh, agreement. And so they had taken some of the land. And then in 1967, they discovered that Russia was helping them stockpile ammunition for an attack against Israel. And Israel did a preemptive strike against everyone around them and took even more territory that had been taken from them, taking control of the West Bank, taking control of what today is Gaza Strip. And then in the Yom Kippur War, which is 1973, they were attacked on every side on Yom Kippur. Yom Kippur is their greatest holiday. They were all celebrating with their families, just like they were in this latest attack. And when the surrounding nations attacked them, they were successful in the Golan Heights. They were successful in Gaza. And they were successful rolling across from the Jordan River into Tel Aviv. All was really lost until the army coming into Tel Aviv decided it was a trick. This is too easy. And they turned and they left. Tel Aviv was there for the taking. And when they left, and you can read some of the miraculous things that happened on both the Gaza Strip and the Golan Heights, and they defeated them entirely and took more than they had ever taken before. They took a section of Egypt. There was a large section of Egypt later on for a land for peace swap. They made peace with Egypt and still have peace with Egypt today. They took the entire area. Now, when they took the entire area, they now had the Palestinians that they had to deal with. Now, let me tell you one more thing that happened when the British gave the section to Israel and Israel took them up on it. There were a couple hundred thousand Palestinians that were living in Jewish territories. And when that territory was given to them, they left the territory, they had to leave it, and they went into West Bank and they went down into Gaza. So they feel like they have been mistreated when they look back on it. They feel like they have a right to the land and they were promised something and they were promised something, but they feel like it wasn't. All of this has bred an incredible hatred 
among the Palestinians. And they are like Iran. They want to wipe Israel off the face of this earth. Now, if we are mistreated and it happens, how are we to respond by that mistreatment? Are we to try to destroy someone to try to wipe them off of the face of the earth? And that's still happening today. I'm not by any means saying that Israel has done everything correctly. Israel, all of the, all of the prime ministers of Israel have promised that they want a two-state solution. We want the Palestinians to have their state and we want us to have our state. Now, the Palestinians have refused that every time it's been brought up. But all of the prime ministers have also put new Jewish communities into Palestinian regions, into the West Bank. And they did into Gaza Strip before 2005 when they left the Gaza Strip. I'll talk about that in a moment. Uh, they, put, they put communities, Jewish communities into there as well. So were they operating on good faith when they were saying, we want you to have this land, but we're going to put Jewish communities in there that we have to do something with? So in 2005, being fed up with a lot of things, there had been the first and the second intifada. There's talk of a third intifada starting. Uh, and the word intifada, I think, is Arab for conflict. It's something like that. But the first intifada was back in the 80s. The second was in the late 90s. They're talking about a third intifada now starting on this coming up Friday. In Israel, they're actually telling people that there's talk of a start of a new intifada starting in Israel that people need to be careful that they're not attacked on the streets because they're going to be looking Friday to attack people who are on the streets. Um, so trying to remember where I was at exactly now before I got sidetracked. Um, so it's 2000, it's 2005 and there have been the two, the intifadas. Now you remember what the intifadas were like? People were strapping bombs on themselves and walking into to stores and blowing themselves up. People were attacking people with box knives and, and with, with, with other knives. There, were, there was all kinds of difficulties happening in Israel during the intifadas, and they, their final solution was to build a wall. So they built a wall basically around the West Bank, and they built it inside some of the communities. So they didn't really give the West Bank line, they built it inside some of the communities. And this is why I say, I'm not saying that Israel did everything correct because they didn't. I don't, I don't think they have. They also left the Gaza Strip. Today, there are two million people in that area and they left it. And they could, at this point, they could have voted in a government that would have been a government that, that cared about them, would have been a government that built an economy. But, th but that never happened. Hamas got voted in. And Hamas is a terrorist organization. Their, their goal is to destroy Israel. So they've used the Gaza area to, as, a, as an area to, for, for um, striking against Israel. So that's where we are today. Israel hasn't been in control of the Gaza Strip since 2005. That's when they left it alone. Now they've given water and electricity to the Gaza Strip. Now they've cut it off. So it's part of their what, you know, they're going to go in. They're going to, you know, they're, they're going to go in with the boots on the ground into Gaza. And part of preparation for that is cutting this all off, which is why I believe that we not only need to pray for Israel and what Israel's going through today, but we need to pray for those who are innocent inside the Gaza Strip as well. 
for you have women and, and children that were never a part of this that are going to pay the price for this as well. And we're going to see the nations that are going to turn and attack Israel for making a stand where they are today. This is the only homeland that Israel has. I believe that God has given them the land. I don't believe that they've done everything correctly with it. But I believe that God has brought them into the land and they will be there until the very end. Now, Israel also took control of Jerusalem in 1967. Listen to what Jesus said in Luke 21, 24. And they will fall by the edge of the sword and they will be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. Today, they control, I was going to say 100%, the vast majority of Jerusalem, except for the Temple Mount, which after they took it in 67, they gave it back to Jordan. Jordan was the one who was in control that had gotten control of the West Bank and Egypt had gotten control of the Gaza area. And in, in 67, those areas were taken away from them and Israel uh, came in control of them. Now, this is what the Bible says Jerusalem is going to be like in the last days. And if you have any questions, I'll, I'll take them after this. In Zechariah 12, 2 and 3, Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of drunkenness to all surrounding peoples when they lay siege against Judah and Jerusalem. And it shall happen in that day that I will make Jerusalem a very heavy stone for all peoples, all who have it. Uh, all who would heave it away surely will be cut to pieces, though all the nations of the earth are against it. Now, God's ultimate desire is to restore the nation of Israel spiritually. That'll happen during the tribulation period that they will come back to him. They will realize they made a huge mistake by receiving the Antichrist as their Messiah and they will turn and receive Jesus as their Messiah. And the Bible goes on in Ezekiel to not only talk about them, the land being restored, the people being restored to the land, but talks about them living in the land in safety. That hasn't happened yet. And it talks about them returning to him. Romans 11, 25 and 26. I don't want you to be ignorant that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles comes in and then they will all be saved. Now, I've often said, I don't know that if all means all, all the time. But what I know is that all doesn't ever mean few. The vast majority of Israel are going to come to Christ. Why is this conflict so messy? Why can't I get up here and go, Israel's the champion and, and the Palestinians have been treated correctly the whole time? Because we live in a messy world. We live in a world where men's hearts are sinful. And really, you want to put, you want to lay this at the feet of someone? When I look at it and go back and study, look at it, I lay it at the feet of the promises made by, by Britain to the Palestinians, to, to everybody. They made all these promises to everybody when they had no plan of it all. In secret, they were dividing it up for themselves while they were promising to give it to someone else. And that caused the problems that there were. But what we do know is that God called Israel his people and God made them promises and God will keep those promises and God will even be able to take a people who don't do everything right. Do you know anybody else like that, by the way? You know anybody else who doesn't do everything right and God does something in their heart anyway? God forgives them. So God's going to be able to take a people 
and bring all the promises, which I barely even began to touch on tonight. There's so many more that I could, promises that God has made to the nation of Israel. But God's going to be able to work with them just as God works with us. And by the way, there are many Palestinians who are becoming Christians. There's a certain group um, there. If you go to Israel today, there's the Christian quarter and the Christian quarter is, is, is Arab. It's Arabs who are Christians. So there are Palestinians who are Christians as well as Palestinians who are Muslims. These are, these are Arab people. That's really what the connection is between them. All right, so stand with me, would you? And let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you for the time that we've been able to take today and really just kind of discuss what's going on in Israel today, what we find with the Gaza Strip and um, the history of how it got to where it is today and the horrible events that happened just five days ago. And Father, again, we pray for Israel. We pray that you would, you would give them success. As Johnny prayed in the opening of the service, Lord, we pray that there would be those who would be, rec um, would be miraculously rescued. Lord, they've been there for five days. We pray that you would be with them. Lord, we also pray for those that are in the area of Gaza now and even in Lebanon and Syria, where this whole war looks like it's going to break out. Lord, we pray that, that you would save lives. Maybe give us more time that we might be able to see more people saved. You're not slack concerning your promises, but you desire all would be saved and all would come to the knowledge of the truth. And we thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.